Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today in the Gospel, we hear Jesus once again teaching a parable. Now, we know that Jesus frequently taught with parables. Parables were those interesting stories where we think we know the end of the story and then it turns in a different way. But nonetheless, it always gives us a powerful message about the spiritual life. Now, if you studied the four Gospels, you see that about half of the parables that Jesus used were about agriculture the sower and the seed, the mustard seed, while others were about trade and commerce. And why not? You know, Jesus grew up in this type of setting. Joseph, his stepfather, was a carpenter. He was a small business owner. Now, granted, yes, he taught Jesus carpentry, but he also taught him the basic business practices of trade and barter. We can only imagine or assume that Joseph took Jesus along with him on trips to villages or towns where Joseph had to do work as a carpenter. And so it was natural for Jesus to pick all this stuff up. Jesus learned on firsthand the principles of economics from Joseph. Now, the, one of the things that's beautiful about teaching in parables, whether it's agriculture or the economy, is that it's something that the audience could relate to, some that they could really understand. Now, who was the primary audience here? Well, the apostles, right? Well, who were they? What was their background? Some were fishermen. One was a tax collector. Some were farmers, tradesmen. We would refer to them as small business owners. Therefore, Jesus takes principles of trade and commerce or agriculture and what he does, he gets to their level. And then he takes that parable and he applies it to the spiritual life. That's the beauty of it all. These parables spoke to people at their level. Now, these principles, whether it's, again, agriculture or economy, trade and barter, they were things that the audience knew. They were living it out in their daily lives. And so we can say Jesus spoke to the audience at their level. And he reached them. They understood what he was trying to teach them. Now, how does this parable begin? It says, A man going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. Well, from the very beginning, we learn who the players are, we could say. The master or the man going on the journey is God. The servants are us. Now, notice, it says he entrusted his possessions with them. Go back to the story of the Ascension in Acts of the Apostles. Before Jesus ascends back into heaven, he tells them to go back into Jerusalem, and it is there that they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then they must evangelize the world in the name of Christ. Essentially, Jesus is now entrusting the church to the apostles. And now, 2,000 years later, the church is entrusted to us. 
We make up the church. Therefore, we are entrusted with God's possessions. But there are many other possessions that God leaves us with. Now, the talents. The talents in the ancient world are no small sum of money. In fact, talents in our day and age would equate to about $1,000. So this is a substantial amount of money that this master is leaving to his servants. Now, the master returns, and he finds the first two servants did something wise. They took the money that the master had given them, and they immediately invested it, and they doubled their money. Now, notice the master's reaction. He's very happy. Not only that, but... He rewards them with greater responsibility and more possessions. But the third servant, he doesn't invest the money. He hides it. He's afraid of his master. Now, notice the master's response to this. First, he's very angry. And then he ridicules this servant in front of all the others. Now, the first powerful lesson we can take from this is an economic one. Money not invested will eventually lose its value. I think many of us have learned this at some point in time in our life. It's a basic economic fact. We must risk our money by investing it in order for it to grow. Even using the most conservative approach, say we can't stomach you know, the, the tidal weight of the New York Stock Exchange going up and down, still we invest in CDs and money markets we still get a rate of return in our investment. But what's the worst thing that we can do with our money? We'll put it under the proverbial mattress, right? Not invest it. In doing so, our money is not going to grow. In fact, its value will diminish over time. We all know the future value of money is far greater than the present value. Again, it's a basic economic principle. And people have understood this for many, many years. People like Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, Bill Gates. You know, throughout our country's history, you have these individuals that risked everything, even when others advised them, you know, to caution, to err on the side of caution. Instead, they risked everything. And in doing so, they made a fortune because of that. Well, now take this economic principle and apply it to the spiritual life. And this is the beauty of this parable that Jesus is trying to teach us. These two stewards, they invest everything. They hold nothing back. That's the first key for us to understand this. They didn't say to themselves, well, I'll just invest half of what the master has given me and hold back the other. No, they invested it all. They held nothing back. And what happened? They doubled their investment. And here lies the principle. It's a basic spiritual truth. Our spiritual life, our faith life will grow the same measure that we invest everything that we have in our faith in God, in our relationship with God, in serving God and others in this world. We have to remember, God gives us talents. Now, the talents come in different forms, skills and abilities, wealth, possessions, prayer life. We must be like those two servants who invest ourselves fully in our faith, in our relationship with God. We hold nothing back. We don't say, well, I'll give God a little bit of my time, a little of my will and my intellect. No, we hold nothing back. We fully invest ourselves with God. And like these servants, 
our return, our investment will be astronomical, double, triple, quadruple. But what's the worst thing that we can do? Cling to the gifts that God has given us. Put those gifts that God has given us into our or underneath our spiritual mattress. You know, the same thing will happen in the spiritual life as it does in the economic principles. If we cling to what we have, if we don't invest ourselves fully in our relationship with God, then our spiritual life will diminish. It'll gradually weaken over time. It won't grow. And see, therein lies the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us. We must fully invest ourselves, everything we have, our will, our intellect, our heart, our mind, our soul, into our faith and our relationship with God. If we do that, then we have no idea what the return on our investment will be in the spiritual life. Now you say to yourself, well, what does that mean? Our return, our investment in the spiritual life. Well, it means a richer prayer life, an active sacramental life, a life of stewardship, a life in which you constantly are performing works of charity without even thinking about it, in which you devote your life to practicing your faith every day of your life. That's what a return on your spiritual investment means. Give you some examples. Just look at the saints. Take St. Paul, for example. After his conversion on the road to Damascus, spent 25 years investing everything that he had into evangelizing the world. He held nothing back. He invested his will, his intellect, his faith, his hope, and his love in spreading the word of God. And what happened? Well, his spiritual return on his investment was astronomical. Clearly, he was the greatest of all the apostles. He evangelized Asia as well as Europe. And we continue to learn from him. Realize Paul's letters were written almost 2,000 years ago. And yet those letters continue to influence and shape our lives and our church. That's pretty powerful. Another example, Mother Teresa, modern-day saint. For 40 years, she invested herself completely in her faith and relationship with God. She held nothing back. She tended to the needs of the poor and the suffering and the sick and the hungry. What was her spiritual reward of her investment? Well, she created a religious order that now covers or spans this entire world. She awakened the entire world of our responsibility and our duty to care for the poor and the suffering in this world. Once again, that's a great example of a spiritually return on her investment. But where is this most clearly seen? What Jesus is trying to teach us in Christ himself, in his life. He comes into this world and he invests himself completely to the world. Throughout his ministry, works tirelessly, preaching, teaching, performing miracles. He holds nothing back. It reaches its pinnacle when Jesus mounts the cross and gives his entire life away for us all. What's the return on Jesus' investment? He saves the world. Salvation for us all. That's what he's given us. That's God's pattern of behavior. And that's the great lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us in the gospel for this week. Our spiritual life, our faith life will grow by the very measure that we invest it in our faith in God. Hold nothing back. 
Don't give God a little bit of your time and your attention, a little bit of your prayer, a little bit of your intellect. Instead, fully invest yourself in your relationship with God. If you do that, then you'll have no idea what the spiritual return on your investment will be. Just look at the lives of the saints and what became of them. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.